So for those of you, oh, did I do it? For those of you that were here last week, you might remember I began my talk talking a little bit about my own process of putting the talk together. Well, it continues. <laughs> it's very interesting. You know, and what I found tonight when I was putting it together, I was reviewing some notes from speaking on the subject for this evening, which is uh, watching the mind as a basis for mindfulness. And as I was going through it, what was happening was let's like slash, slash, slash. <laughs> and I come up with this little packet and I kind of went, well, what's in there? <laughs> is there anything there? And I realized that I want my emphasis to be that of simplicity. And that actually tonight, I'd like to extend uh, an invitation for us to practice together. It's not that I'm not going to say anything. I am. Quite likely, you know, much of what I've said you will have heard before. But it's can we hear this in the freshness of awareness? And with that, wanting to keep it more on the side of simplicity. I mean, there is so much in the Buddha's teachings which has been, um, you know, spoken about and can be really helpful. Uh, And it may be at times in our lives that we really study and it gives a very helpful framework and context to it. But sitting here on retreat... It's the exploration, the looking to our own experience to understand. And that's, I think, where simplicity can become very, very helpful. So I'd like to share with you um, something the Buddha said about the mind. And I I believe this has recently been said in the hall, but it's so important that I think it bears saying again. This comes from the Dhammapada, the inspired verses. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows as the wagon we're wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind, speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. That phrase, that verse, really speaks to me of the importance of watching the mind. Looking deeply at this mind, the movement of mind, and all that is occurring in this mind. Because this is where we will find the basis for happiness. This is where we will come to understand how we get lost, confused, bewildered. In my own experience, I've certainly felt at the mercy of this mind, 
to watch the habituated patterns where it can become obsessive. Worry. Worry has been one of my um, habituated tendencies. And to watch what the mind will worry about and how you know, it can pick up some aspect of experience and just repeat it over and over and over again. And it's like the mind becomes compulsive in going back to that worry. On retreat, you know, it can be really basic things. Will lunch be on time? Will I get enough food? Will the food agree with me? Will I get enough sleep? Just that we see how the mind can obsess, can just be drawn to something that we know isn't important in the bigger picture, something that doesn't have a strong sense of having a real hook to it, and yet the pattern is there. And we you know, are just at the mercy of these patterns. At times we can feel assaulted by the mind. You know, the storms that come through, you know, the rage, the replaying of something that happened 35 years ago. And, you know, it, sometimes there's things that were really painful that happened 35 years ago. But we might find we're, remember, we're remembering the way somebody looked at us and just outrage. You know, it, it just, you know, and we, and we get locked into that rage, that story about the rage. We can find that this mind gets really reactive. <laughs> I've had the thought before that, well, maybe we get stuck at the developmental age of the terrible twos, <laughs> and we just get more refined on how we act that, around that. But essentially, you know, the patterns can still be there. This mind is so powerful. You know, going back to this verse from the Buddha, you know, that the corrupted mind will take us in the direction of suffering, whereas the peaceful mind will take us in the direction of happiness, naturally. And it's not by chance that this happens. It happens when we pay attention, when we're present. And out of that presence, understanding comes. We start to see the workings of the mind, the causes and conditions, cause and effect. The light bulb starts to go off. And we begin to see really clearly, oh yeah, you do that, and it's going to hurt. Oh yeah, you open your heart, and there's ease and peace, harmony. But really from watching this mind, the deepening understanding occurs.
in speaking about the mind, just to say that in this context, it's not speaking about just the rational thinking mind. It's speaking about the mind as that which knows in the consciousness. It's also including the activities of the mind, the things the mind does, like thinking or having different atmosphere or emotions, mind states in the mind, or intention, the impulses that arise, the will to do, the mind perceives, organizes, creates concepts. And these are all aspects of experience we can be aware of. And one of the things that can happen as we practice is that often we begin our practice by being aware of the body. And this is really helpful because it's quite tangible. No, you feel it right here. It has some sense of something one can touch. And when we start looking, that's a really nice feeling, you know, because often the mind seems so complex, so quickly changing, that, ooh, it's like you, you, somebody tells you to be aware of what's going on in your mind. And it's, first of all, where is your mind? Oh, my God, what is the mind? I, I, you know, it's um, not as tangible. It's not, it's not, doesn't feel like so much substance. So being aware of the body can be really helpful. And, you know, for a period of time in our practice, we gain stability through that. Because it is essential, no matter how we're practicing, that we find a stability of mindfulness. Marcia spoke about this last week. And, you know, mentioning one of the ways that we can find this is through being aware of our moment-to-moment experience. Continuity of being aware of what's happening moment by moment. So, you know, first, often beginning with the body. And then some people find that it becomes fearful, frightening, or have the judgment that my concentration isn't deep enough to turn the attention to the mind. And so I want to speak about the mind tonight and using it as a basis for strengthening mindfulness because sometimes that fear is there because we don't quite understand how to do that and that... uh, it's going to be a little bit different than being with the body. So going to the place of looking in our experience to come to know the mind. 
as I've already mentioned, one aspect of this mind is the knowing quality. And if we can take a look at this right now, that as I'm speaking, sound is being heard. And we don't create the knowing of that. There's nothing that we need to do other than to be undistracted. And then the knowing occurs spontaneously. When a thought is present and it's recognized, the knowing is there. When sensations are experienced, the knowing is there. It's really important to know (laughs) that this knowing is natural. It's spontaneous. One of the most easeful forms of practice can be to simply be aware of this knowing. Within that, experiences arise, they're known, and disappear. Thoughts being known, sounds being known, excuse me, sensations being known. We don't recognize this if we're caught in the doing, trying to create something. We recognize this when we just sit, relax, and let be. The objects change, the experiences change, but the knowing is spontaneous, naturally occurring. We need to notice this moment by moment. What happens is that often we get caught in sense impressions. We get lost. We follow. We follow a thought. We follow a pleasant feeling.
we get caught in doing. And so at those times, the mind is becoming colored by the experience. And it's needing to recognize what the mind is doing. Because if we look in our experience, even as I'm speaking, there could be you know, a liking of what's being said, a disliking, evaluating, judging. Or maybe we're planning that the mind might be getting pretty active just in sitting here. And so then we recognize these different activities in the mind to see what the mind is doing. And we really need to do this with a non-reactive awareness. And this is really where honesty comes in in our practice. Being able to really just let it be seeing what the mind is doing. Even if in our judging system it's not very pretty. Even if we don't like it. You know, even if there's a nasty voice in there. We just need to see that. I'd like to share... um, a teaching from Venerable Analio. Uh, It's out of the book called Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Realization. He says of mind, it is noteworthy that contemplation of the mind does not involve active measures to oppose unwholesome states of mind, such as lust or anger. Rather, the task of mindfulness is to remain receptively aware by clearly recognizing the state of mind that underlies a particular train of thought or reactions. Such uninvolved receptivity is required because, one, because of one's instinctive tendencies to ignore whatever contradicts or threatens one's sense of importance and personal integrity. The habit of employing self-deception to maintain one's self-esteem has often become so ingrained that the first step to developing accurate self-awareness is honest acknowledgement of the existence of hidden emotions, motives, and tendencies in the mind without immediately suppressing them. Maintaining non-reactive awareness in this way counters the impulse towards either reaction or suppression contained in unwholesome states of mind and thereby deactivates their emotional pull. This non-reactive awareness, but a real knowing of what's here. We're actually finding in Uh, the world today as the teachings of meditation as come from the Buddhist tradition are moving out into the world in more non-Buddhist ways. And that out of that, people are finding immense benefit through the simple naming of their experience in a non-reactive way. It's so powerful. And so 
within the looking at that, this mind to look to what is here, what's presenting itself. The coloration, is, it, is the mind colored by greed, aversion, delusion? And, you know, just to emphasize this, I'd like to share uh, a teaching from the Buddha. This comes from his teachings on the four bases of mindfulness. And this is around the third foundation, mindfulness of the mind. One knows a lustful mind to be lustful, and a mind without lust to be without lust. One knows an angry mind to be angry, and a mind without anger to be without anger. One knows a deluded mind to be deluded, and a mind without delusion to be without delusion. He goes on to speak in the same way about a contracted mind, distracted mind, concentrated mind, unconcentrated mind, liberated mind, unliberated mind. When I first really took to heart this sutta, I found it was really helpful because it wasn't saying lust is in the mind, you are bad, you are wrong, you should not be this way. He's saying know when lust is present in the mind. Know when lust is not present in the mind. We don't have to take it personally. We don't have to identify and define oneself by these passing states of mind. And as we pay attention to the mind, we see how conditioned these states of mind are. But we also see how impersonal they are how transitory they are. And this is also very freeing. In watching the mind, also watching, becoming aware of the aspect of the thinking mind, thoughts in the mind. These are often relentless, that there can be many thoughts, and they have great power. Many times, these thoughts are based in false perception, not seen clearly, and yet we live as if they are true. When we really use thought as a basis for mindfulness, we need to shift the attention from the content of the thought to the process, 
to seeing it as an activity in the mind that is conditioned. And this is where we might explore how emotion and thoughts are connected, that when the mind is colored by anger, we might notice that angry thoughts arise, that there's a correlation between the two. They're often very strongly connected, and one will uh, strengthen the other when we're not aware of them. We need to inquire into the process of thinking, to really look as thoughts are arising, seeing them in their arising at times, seeing them in their impermanence, their vanishing. It starts to help us see the nature of these thoughts, that they too are visitors in this mind that they don't carry, uh, that the power that they have is the power that we give them by believing or identifying in them. You know, many of us are really trained in using the thinking mind. And yet, what we have to learn to be is master of that. So we are not run or controlled by thought itself so that we do not let it take us into the obsessing, the figuring out. Thought at times in our lives will be very useful, helpful, but there needs to be a spaciousness to be able to determine, discern whether this is a helpful thought or whether the following of this thought into action will actually lead to more suffering. Many people think that it is quite difficult to be aware of the thinking mind, which it is. I mean, it's so seductive, the story, the content. But I'd like to do an exercise together right now to help us see the difference between the thought and the awareness of thinking. So, for a few moments, just sitting, relaxing, just being aware of present moment experience, sensations in the body, sound, thoughts, temperature, color, form. not trying too hard, 
letting the awareness be natural, knowing present moment experience. And now, consciously begin to think. And as you think, be aware of every thought. Create the thoughts if there's no thoughts. Thoughts about anything. It can be about how stupid this exercise is. It can be about the sensations in our stomach. Just keep thinking, but never losing sight of the fact that thinking is occurring. Keep the thoughts going. And awareness of this process. And then relaxing. Once again, awareness of whatever is present. Sometimes it will happen that as we're aware of thinking, the thought continues. We don't want to get into the habit of blocking it, trying to stop it, repress it. The mind (laughs) tends to get rebellious then. (laughs) You'll probably find an accelerated level of thinking. What you can do is be like an old man who's sitting on a park bench and sees children playing in in the distance and simply watching this thinking process without becoming entangled in. The awareness of the thinking is really the anchor in it, to know this is occurring, a function of the mind, a natural function of the mind. With that, we might begin to see maybe there's reactivity. We don't want the thoughts, the wanting to push them away or the pull to become involved in. But if we can really learn to be mindful of thinking, it means that any time a thought arises in our minds, it can be an object of meditation. 
and can help to strengthen our practice. The more thoughts, the more objects of meditation. really important with that to notice the difference between being aware of thinking and lost in the thinking. One of the ways that I saw this so clearly in my own life is being out in nature. And if the sense doors are open but not followed, one's not becoming lost in, the world can at times seem vibrantly alive. And yet, a thought can come through. And if the mind follows it, the world simply disappears. And a whole universe is created right there. I mean, just to watch how, you know, and maybe it's only momentary where one is really identified, but how everything else disappears and one's involved in this universe of the thought. And then in those moments where that involvement is there, Nothing else is seen, known. As we pay attention, moment by moment, what starts to happen is that at first we get, and this really comes from a teaching from Sayadaw Utejaniya, at first we get data. The mind is collecting data in each moment. And as there's continuity, that data starts to turn into information. And that information, as it strengthens, starts to turn into knowledge, where we can actually, you know, this is where we start to see cause and effect. And we start to have understanding of how this mind is working. And out of that um, knowledge, uh, we find that wisdom comes when there's a skillful application of that knowledge. And, you know, it just comes from these little moments where we are present to experience as it is. We don't have to be looking for some big experience to pay attention to. You know, the little niggling knee pain. How's the mind reacting? Is it trying to get rid of it? Is it aversive to it? Is it in fear? Sometimes we'll find, as we become aware of the mind and its activities, 
that we begin to see that even the way that we're watching experience can be colored by greed, aversion, delusion. This is where we bring an attitude to how we're watching the mind, where we might be watching from the place of wanting to get something, wanting to get rid of something, or not wanting to see. And so what happens is it's that... that, um, the greed, aversion, or delusion is really kind of creeping into the very way that we're practicing. And so, you know, we can have the experience where we are trying to be with some aspect of experience, but maybe because of the filter that the mind is looking through, we can't even recognize, can't get close to our experience. Because with greed, we're so wanting something that we're, it's like you're you know, just going right past what's already there. And this coming through the very observing mind or the way in which we're watching the mind. Within this watching of the mind, another aspect of experience that can often be subtle and yet when it's seen can be very prevalent is that of intention. The volitional formation in the mind that is an impulse to do, to act. It's a karmic seed and it's very important to be aware of because often we have the sense like, I lifted my arm. I moved my leg. Often there is strong identification with intention because we don't see how it too is conditioned. We don't see that it is not another fleeting, impersonal, insubstantial experience. And you know, one of the ways that I explored just intention was in something as simple as having an itch and the desire to scratch it. So at first, you know, that, that impulse to scratch is there, but it was seen, it was known. No action followed. And then, a little while later, it's just still great in a way, and then the mind's irritated, wants to scratch again. And maybe mindfulness is strong, sees the intention, doesn't move. And then the intention comes up even stronger, and scratching occurs. You know, when the conditions are right, the intention takes hold and the action follows. If there's no food in front of you, 
is there an intention to eat? No, the intention to eat happens when the food's in front of you. So this intention, you know, it's a gathering or collecting of energy that is a part of cause and effect. As we begin to be aware of these intentions, this is where it will help. You know, if the mind is steady, strong in the seeing of this intention, then the discernment can come, whether it's wholesome or unwholesome. So then there becomes choice rather than just like that itch where. Itchy, get rid of it. And the, you know, an itch is not a big deal. <laughs> but there can be other ways in our lives where it will have a dramatic input, impact. So we want to look to the mind, to come to know the mind, so that understanding, wisdom, can dawn. One of the things in the shift of, of, of turning towards the mind itself is needing to relax with the fact that the mind knows spontaneously, that we don't have to do anything. It's actually a bit rattling, you know, because if we have a sense of doing sometimes in our practice, then that is kind of a relief. Whereas the mind just knows, ooh, ooh. And then we kind of look to, okay, what is this mind? Where is this mind? And if we really look, I mean, I'm inviting you right now to look. Can we see the mind? Does it have form, color, shape? Can we go, ah, this is the mind? But awareness is there. This knowing is there. It's something that it's hard to put words to. but it's there. If we struggle with the the aspect of awareness, knowing, we can look to know the mind first through the activities of the mind, through being aware of reactivity, thoughts, being aware of intentions, being aware of how the mind perceives, how, you know, uh, it just know, it can, per, it can distinguish a thought from a sound, from a sensation, from a smell, 
from a sight. And it happens very quickly. So we can pay attention to what the mind is doing. And this is why I have, in my own life, found great value in looking to the mind and using it as a basis for strengthening mindfulness because there seems to be no lack of what the mind is doing, how it's responding, relating. And this is as we sit in meditation and it's in our daily life. You know, in our daily lives to just watch throughout the course of a day. Really, you could, for many of us, just look on the level of reactivity. Is it pleasant, unpleasant? Is the mind moving towards, away from? I mean, that in itself, we could, many of us could just watch that a lot. And then you put in there the different thoughts, intentions. Um, There's a lot to be aware of. And this is what's shaping our lives. So it's essential. It's important. So as we shift towards looking to the mind, it may not feel as the kind of stability we may have had in being with the breath or the body. But if we can relax there, what we find is because the mind is open, we begin to see more and more and more. And out of that, the understanding comes. But at first it can feel a little rattling. But just relax with it and just keep looking to what is the mind aware of now? And sometimes the mind might be quiet. And there really is just awareness of knowing. Just be aware of that. We're looking to the totality of our experience. You know, a pattern that we have is to look to that which is unwholesome, painful. And, you know, that's what we fix, identify with. But if we really let the mind be open, you know, there may have been a moment where something unwholesome came into the mind. And, oh, it may be loving kindness that support is, is, you know, it's met with a kind attention where it's not buying into You want to watch that you don't try to bear down on mindfulness of the mind. Because it will just get tight. You know, if you're, if you're really looking, I mean, thought, thoughts, you know, I talked about they sometimes continue. Sometimes just the awareness of them, gone, poof. It's what happens. You know, it's right there, teaching in impermanence. then what's the mind aware of? And so it's just to keep looking. What's it aware of now? Now. Now. With this non-reactivity, 
that is allowing but not following. With this, we need to have interest. You know, so it's just not a blind looking. It's an interest. Huh. What's anger? Oh. How is it affecting the mind right now? Maybe it's reflected in the body. Without interest, we won't pay attention. You know, it's very much like if someone's saying something that's interesting to us, the mind stays steady, stable. But if we're not interested, it's all over the place. So this interest will help the stability. It will help the continuity. And this continuity is very important. And it's nothing we can force. It's something that we can only begin again and again and again. With all of this, to be honest. Now take your seat. What's happening now? Looking at this mind, what could be more interesting? To understand this mind? And, you know, the mind is untrained. This is why we have to do something like a meditation practice. Because that is a training of the mind. And what we're training the mind is to be undistracted. And when the mind is undistracted, that's when we'll come to know true freedom, true happiness. That's when understanding dawns. I'd like to close tonight with a teaching from Ajahn Chah. It's called A Taste of Freedom. About this mind, in truth, it isn't really anything. It's just a phenomena. Within within itself, it's already peaceful. That the mind is not peaceful these days is because it follows moods. The real mind doesn't have anything to it. It is simply an aspect of nature. It becomes peaceful or agitated because moods deceive it. The untrained mind is stupid. Sense impressions come and trick it into happiness, suffering, gladness, and sorrow. But the mind's true nature is none of these things. That gladness or sadness is not the mind, but only a mood coming to deceive us. The untrained mind gets lost and follows these things. It forgets itself. Then we think that it is we who are upset or 
at ease or whatever. But really this mind of ours is already unmoving and peaceful, really peaceful, just like a leaf which is still as long as no wind blows. If a wind comes up, the leaf flutters. The fluttering is due to the mind. The fluttering is due to the sense impressions. The mind follows them. If it doesn't follow them, it doesn't flutter. If one if we know fully the true nature of sense impressions, we are unconcerned. Our practice is simply to see the original mind. So we must train the mind to know these sense impressions and not get lost in them, to make it peaceful. Just this aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves, just this is the aim of all this difficult practice we put ourselves through. So this mind, already peaceful, but we get caught in these sense impressions. This watching, learning, exploring, investigating. So let's just sit for a moment. So closing with the chanting of the reflections on the sharing of blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.